Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms. My iPad does not recognize me nervous, so I'm going to have to manually tap into this guy. Um, I want to say on behalf of Tammy Lowe, happy Mother's Day as well. Special Mother's Day from the lady of the house. Um, she's actually here today, so mom, if you would please stand. I would also like to say happy Mother's Day to you, mom, a special one. Even though we don't always see eye to eye, mostly because I'm a foot taller than you. Um, I appreciate you. Um, I know we bump heads quite frequently, but the good thing about that is in order to bump heads, we have to be close. And I hope that you're always close to me. Happy Mother's Day. Now that I got the emotional part out of the way, I think the butterflies will leave a little sooner, but... My name is Dathan. Um, this is my first time up here in this capacity. And to be honest with you, I feel like one of those nervous, shaky dogs that you see sitting on the couch. It's a funny video to watch. And uh, you're probably thinking, why, why is he up here today? And I think it's because we have a very comical God, and he thought it'd be funny to stick a human being up here to shake in front of you for about 30 minutes or so. So here I am, and I am trying my best to keep my composure, but... Um, uh, thank you. Um, I would also like to say uh, hello on behalf of my father. He does miss everyone. The sabbatical is not easy for them. Um, not being here is very difficult, especially being within the city um, and being so, so close yet so far away is very hard. So um, he misses each and every one of you. Um, so I'd like to say hello to you on behalf of him as well. Ah, and I hope that uh, while I am up here today, I would just like to give away a piece of my heart. Um, I'm no preacher. Um, I'm a good talker, but I'm better one-on-one uh, -on -one or in a two-way conversation. I don't, I don't have a lot of words to give. Just, I'm not good with one-sided conversations. I like a lot of interaction. Don't feel pressured. But at the same time, feel free to speak your mind whenever you'd like. So um, how many of us here have, uh, like, people that we look up to? There's just, there's somebody in your life that just like, oh, my God, that person is amazing. They're a, they're, they are a giant in my eyes, and I can never live up to them. And uh, I think we all have those. Um, I... Uh, I grew up in church. I was born, not in church, I was born in a hospital, but I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was a church pew baby. And uh, then into my earlier uh, twos and threes, I was an under the pew baby um, because we liked to lay under the pews at the church that we grew up at and we loved to color or look at what other people color. We didn't color. Sorry, Deb, we didn't do that. That was other kids. But we liked to look at all the drawings underneath the pews. They were old pews, man. They had been there since 1950, and it was 19 late 80s by then. And um, so plenty of kids were under those pews, and we got to grow up under. My father, um, my father was an outreach director, so we were kind of born into ministry of some sort. But it was like in the organizational chart of ministry where we grew up, we were kind of low mid-level. 
So we could do plenty of stuff and get away with it. Nobody ever noticed. Now, we could, we could make mistakes, and we weren't under the microscope that, you know, a pastor's child is. So we, we grew up in this kind of nice little groove. You know, the only eyes that were on us were our fathers, and there was one specific thing that would always get our attention, and it was a, a snap. It was just like, oh, my God, Dad saw me. <laughs> what, what, what so um, immediately in line, and that... That meant one of two things. That meant die right now or get a spanking when you get home. And uh, it was usually the latter because I'm still here. But um, so we grew, up, we grew up around it. And um, then dad decided to take us out of that comfort zone of being kind of in the background and being hidden. And uh, he decided to obey God. Um, which isn't a horrible thing, but it, it messed my life up. You know, I had this idea of the, I was going to, you know, I'm, I'm just, my dad's office, he has an office, so we can say dad's got an office, so I'm that important, but it was far enough away from the pastor's office that it, you know, it, it didn't hold too much weight. And uh, he decided to answer the calling to come to San Antonio and to pastor and my world flipped upside down. Uh, you know, I, I had to start acting a certain way. I had to start um, being more mindful of my surroundings. And uh, my brother and I couldn't fight out in the open anymore. And, you know, we, <laughs> it, it, it felt like we couldn't even talk. And it's, it's, we're better off not saying anything than potentially saying the wrong thing. And that's one of my fears about being up here because my mouth just likes to have a mind of its own and my brain can't stop it sometimes. So I pray that today you hear God and not me and that what needs to stick sticks and everything else can go one in it and out the other. So um, I, uh, being a pastor's son and uh, getting to live that experience, we had a plethora and I'll say as many smart words as I can because I want to sound somewhat. I'm very uneducated. And I want to, the three words, I got that one from Three Amigos, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> so I'll always remember it. But um, I get all my smartness comes from Hollywood. So <laughs> I, um, I grew up in a house uh, where we had ministers and prophets and evangelists come through quite frequently. And... Uh, it's a part of being a pastor's son. You know, you're going to be this. You're going to be on fire for God. And you're going to like, literally, guy, I'll never be on fire. And um, just people speaking into our lives. We all got it. All three of us. I have a phenomenal, I have an amazing brother who I just happened to see a second ago. I was not expecting him to be here, but I'm, I'm uh, grateful that my brother Devin is here today. And uh, I have a beautiful younger sister who can't be with us. She's in Denver. Um, but we all got it. Uh, it wasn't at any one of us. Um, it was at all three of us. And, you know, you just kind of got this load dropped on you of what you're supposed to be. And, and you grow up with this idea, you know, of these great people. My father, to me, um, I look up to very much, even though he shorter as me as well, but I look up to my father because when I was three or four years old, we were remodeling a home, so we moved next door, which was very convenient. Um, 
were tearing out walls and ripping up, completely remodeled this home. And I mean, you have to imagine a three or four year old, he already, his dad's Superman. And uh, my dad can definitely whoop your dad. And uh, I remember standing in the backyard playing. I don't recall if I was with my brother and sister or not, but I remember being in the backyard playing. And I just see the back wall of the house from the inside out. The back wall just falls down, the whole wall, and it just crumbles. And there's dust flying everywhere. And my dad steps out of this dust with a big old sledgehammer and just steps over the wall. And in my mind, at that moment, I was just like, oh, my God, that's my dad. And I mean, it was like if you could, if, if Hollywood could put that scene together, it was, I was just in awe. And that's the guy I get to call dad. And that's, that's somebody that I look up to. And those are shoes that I can never fill. And I, could, I can never be that man for sure. Um, I could, I, at three years old, there's no way I could ever imagine myself knocking down an entire wall. But he did it. That was my dad. And that's somebody that I look up to. And to think that the guy that I look up to like that actually has somebody that he looks up to. The, the guy that just walked through a wall looks up to an individual and thinks that highly of another individual. And that was my foster grandfather who took him in whenever his father passed away. And a phenomenal man of God. One of the, if, if, you, want, if you want to feel whipped after a sermon, you listen to him speak, he, he will convict you. The dude is just, he's amazing. He's got, he's so powerful. And like I said, these are the kind of guys that, you know, I called dad, I called papa. Um, guys who weren't even, or men of God who weren't really related to me, but they were close like grandfathers. And again, these are people that I can never be. I will never be. And even today that that's not somebody who I'll become. I, I, could, I could hope to be like them, but all I can be is me. So growing up in this came with living under certain expectations. And we all know we can never live up to expectations. Um, I think we do ourselves the least justice by setting expectations on ourselves that I'm putting expectations on me that not a single one of these individuals told me I had to do. Every one of them was speaking God into my life, and I was hearing Dwayne, Floyd, um, Sterling Pilant. I was hearing these guys, their words. I wasn't hearing God's words in the moment. And all of a sudden, this heavy weight and burden came over me that, you know, this, is, this isn't something I can do, nor do I even want to do it now, you know, because how, how could someone like me be even remotely close to a guy like you? We're taught our entire lives that in order to be worth anything, you, you really have to, well, for one, if you want to go to PK, guess what? You got to get potty trained. And you can't move on unless you learn to pee pee in the toilet. And my son's going through that process right now, and he barely, he made it by a week. And I was so proud of him. I was like, oh, God, you get to go to the next level. Ah, I don't, I, he he's probably did better than me where we were from. You just went off the back porch and called it a day. And uh, so he's having to learn like a human being. And, um, you know, after that, I mean, to get to graduate kindergarten, you had to pass all of these tests just to make it to first grade and so forth and so on, in middle school and high school. And 
in order to even get into a college, you have to get accepted. You have to write a good enough paper. You have to have had a good enough grade. Um, they don't just accept anybody. I'm sorry, everybody. They don't just take anybody. Uh, community college is, is not, but even in community college, you have to, you have to accomplish something in order to move on to the next level. And that's just the way we're raised. Society teaches it. You can't be anything unless you prove yourself worthy to be something. And that's what I've done to myself my whole life. I mean, it even goes into me. I love you. Prove it. What do you mean prove it? I just told you I love you. Prove it. 80 years down the road, the woman that you're in love with is on her deathbed, and she says, here I am dying now, and you finally proved me all this time. My only regret is that we never got married because you never proved your love for me. It's, it's constantly a proving yourself. We begin to give all the reasons why we aren't good enough, why we don't qualify to be used by God. We hang on to all the guilt and the shame that we grew up with. And all this time that we are constantly unqualifying ourselves. When you unqualify you, you're not unqualifying you. You're actually unqualifying God. You're saying, God, you're not good enough to use me. Yes, I get it. You've done things for other people in the past, but <laughs> you don't know my dirt. You don't know what I've been through. How could someone like me ever be used by you? How could someone ever like me ever give you away? And I continued to unqualify who God said I was through others, from him to myself, directly. We go through the scripture, and um, does anybody know where Mary was born? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah, I don't think it's very clear. There, there, there are kind of ideas of where she was born, but I promise you where she was not born was the kingdom palace. She wasn't born into royalty. She wasn't born a very into a, a high-level family, and that's who God chose to be his mother. In fact, she wasn't even married yet. He chose who in society's eyes would be a nobody, an unmarried woman who isn't in place of having a baby, especially back then. She chose her to be his mother, to be the vessel that birthed him and brought him into this world. Mary Magdalene, he chose a prostitute to follow him. David, I mean, come on, we all know the story of David. King David, one of the greatest kings. When God anointed him, he was in the fields herding sheep. In fact, all of his brothers were being examined prior to him. He was the least of all of his brothers. Whenever Saul or whenever Samuel was anointing or looking for the king, and God chose the least in that family, the one who's out herding the sheep, the one that gets the low-end job, not close to dad, not close to home, nothing important going on. He's just out there all alone. God chose David to anoint as king. And we know even in that, he ran for 40 years. He, he hid. You know, he was scared of, of the king at the time, even though God told him and God anointed him. He was still afraid. And we know as king, he made mistakes. The guy, the guy that God called murdered a guy, took his wife, had a baby with her. I mean, that's, those aren't very good things. And that's the guy that God chose. 
Saul, who became Paul. Saul, prior to Paul, he was a Christian slayer. He murdered Christians, and that was his soul. His purpose was to go and just kill off everyone who was a Jesus follower. And God stopped him probably on the way to do some more. And he said, Saul, I want you. He didn't ask him to change. He didn't ask him to qualify himself to be good enough. He said, I want you now. It wasn't a get ready, and when you're ready, come and see me. It was a, I want you now. Twelve disciples. I mean, that was a rough bunch. It was a fun bunch, I'm sure, but it was a rough bunch. And each and every one of them had their own issues, and it wasn't a come and get ready. Hey, in three years, I'm going to come see you, and if, if you're good enough, if you're ready enough, come follow me. Now, he said to them right then and there, Matthew, follow me. Peter, follow me. To each and every one of them, follow me. And we know the story that one of them that he chose, again, he chose, he handpicked individually, denied him, and was the reason for his crucifixion. Knowing all this and, again, growing up in this, I began to run away from what God was saying to, about me and who I was. Um, it wasn't, I, I guess, in my early 20s, I, I left home and, you know, to stay away from this, like I said, I had a brother who was already in the ministry at the time. Um, I couldn't be my brother. I couldn't be my father. I couldn't be my grandfather. I couldn't be any of the mighty men of God that was in my life. So the easiest thing for me to do was to run. You know, I dove into alcohol. I dove into drugs. I dove into parties. I was closing the clubs down at night. And whatever I could do that would disqualify me and continue to allow me to just be me, I, I, I did whatever I had to. I not physically, but I spit in my parents' face. And I'd come up into their home doing all of that and pretend like it was nothing, pretend like everything was perfectly fine. Running, not necessarily from a position, but just running from being used. And like I said, we, we, we imagine that, well, for me, I imagine the only way as a child and younger to be used by God was to stand up here like this right now, scared to death. And that's just what it was like. You get to be up here and you got to stand up and give yourself away. And, and man, you're talking about hours and hours of studying and, and being good enough and knowledgeable enough and study theology. And I said, I don't have any of those accolades. And the whole time God's saying, son, I don't need another Dwayne. I don't need another Floyd. I don't need another Devin. I need a you. So I left home and I did my thing. And believe it or not, even in that time, I was still coming to church every single Sunday. And... If I wasn't on the front row, I was on the second row, and I was clapping my hands, and I was singing the songs, 
And I was wearing the mask of everything is okay, and it's good enough to be right here and nothing more. You know, I, I've made enough mistakes this week. God's not going to pour himself out on me. I'm not going to be able to touch anyone. I like being right here where I am. We already have a Devin. I'm not going to be Devin. <clears throat> I didn't want to be who God said I was because I didn't believe it was attainable. For one, I don't have enough years to put all the knowledge together that I believed the men before me have. I don't like to read, so I'm not going to read a book. Audibles, it's easy to zone out an Audible, so the knowledge coming in, it's not sticking because I'm not paying it any attention. I continued to run because my calling to be used by God in whatever capacity that looked like to him, whether it just be being a friend to someone, God, please don't let it be being up here frequently. But I didn't want it. I didn't want whatever he was calling me to be. I knew there was a calling, but I didn't want it. And Believe it or not, neither did Jesus. He came to God three times in the garden that night that he was praying. Crazy enough, we just talked about this in LDP, and I was saying, I was like, man, I'm talking about that Sunday. Three times in the garden did he ask God, please let this cup pass from me. He knew the pain that he was about to endure. He knew the shame that his own people were going to try to put on him, and the guilt that they were going to try to make him carry. He knew all of that, and he didn't want to bear it. He asked his father three times, please let this cup pass for me, but Lord, your will and not mine. God made himself available in that moment. And the first step to any of this, I don't have the one, two, three step, but in order... To be used at all, you have to be available. And in that moment, God made himself available. And in saying your will, Lord, not mine, he became willing and he trusted his father and his faithfulness. You can't be a part of the game if you're not available. You can't be in it if you're not available. And then you have to be willing, of course, and you just have to trust God with the process, whatever it looks like. Up on the cross, through all that guilt and shame, he saw you. How many here believe God died for you? God died for everyone? Yes, we hear it all the time. God died for everyone. Is it true? I don't think it is. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I don't think God died for everyone. In fact, I think and I believe, and he's put this on my heart, and it, it's really a seed's been planted into me different than I've ever noticed all, all of my years. It took me 38 years to see this, but I don't really believe God died for everyone. And I was like, what is this blasphemy? Melissa, God died for you. When he was up on that cross, he wasn't up there saying, okay, I'm going to just go ahead and get all this over with. I'm going to throw this big, massive blanket over the world, the generations that come. 
And that moment, he saw Melissa. And he said, Melissa, I died for you. Sean, in that moment, he wasn't thinking about Melissa. He was thinking about you. And he died for Sean. He died for each and every one of you. It was a very personal thing for him. He wasn't thinking about all of us. He was thinking about each of us. And I think once you begin to notice that and really, really ponder it, we just we put God in this little box that he can only do so much, and, and we don't really think about what he's capable of. And in that, in that moment, he cared so much about you that he specifically died for just you. He did not die for everyone. He died for each of us. A qualified God allowed himself to be hung on a cross and die so that he can qualify you. In Luke 23, while up on that cross, there was a gentleman next to him that deserved to be exactly where he was. He deserved what he was getting. And God told him, this day will you be with me in paradise. He did not say, get good enough, or I'm sorry, it's too late. God took a man who deserved to be on the cross next to him and qualified him immediately. He didn't ask him to perform any crazy ritual. He didn't ask him to go live in silence for the next 30 years and pray to only him. He didn't ask him to do that. No, he immediately qualified a man who deserved to be where he was. I stopped running once noticing that. I kind of stopped running from necessarily a calling. I stopped running from allowing God to use me, I would say. And uh, even in knowing this, I had to perform. So I dove headfirst into serving in the church, serving in literally every department, um, doing every, I'm a yes man. So if you need something, just ask me. And I will, I'm learning to say no, so I'll probably say no a lot. But I'm a yes man. And uh, even today, I'm supposed to be speaking. And, oh, my gosh, this isn't working. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll do it now. No, no, no. You need a, ah, I can get it. I'm just, that's just who I am. That's in my DNA. And I, I don't apologize for it because I think sometimes you need a yes man. I'm just learning to set healthier boundaries. Um, but in that, I, I, I started to perform so that I could be good enough, you know. I, I had done so much in, in my running and the alcohol and the drugs and the parties. I had done so much that now I needed to make up for all of that lost time. And I needed to get back to zero so that I could start to become something better. So that I was good enough for God, you know. So I was good enough for somebody to look at and say, oh, you know, he, that, that guy, he looks like he has it together and, you know, God can use him. I needed to be there. And so I plugged myself in every department and I did everything that I possibly could to be good enough for God to use me. 
Surprisingly, it did absolutely nothing for me. Because God wasn't looking for me to perform. He wasn't looking for my ability. He wasn't looking for how awesome I was. He wasn't looking for how many people liked Dathan, how many people didn't like Dathan. He, he wasn't looking for any of that. He's just looking for me to be me. Took a trip not too long ago. We'll get emotional here. I always do with this. Anything to do with my kids or family, it's, it's, it gets me. Took a trip not too long ago um, to New Orleans with my family and uh, Thanksgiving. We're hanging out. and uh, My brother, myself, and um, our sons were sleeping in, you know, I call it the basement of, a, of an awesome house. Everybody else got the cool rooms. We basically, we stayed inside the water heater room with bunk beds. It was awesome. The single dads get to hang out with their dudes inside the, the water heater room, you know. The cockroaches, that was the first place they came to. We got to kill them off before they got up to the rest of the family. If it flooded, we got to alert the rest of the family if we didn't die first. You know, we, we, were, we were that, man. We are important people. So... We're hanging out there one night, and um, I put my two-year-old to bed, and it's pitch black room. There's not a, obviously, we're in the water heater room. There's no windows. Um, we have dual bunk beds there. They're set in L formation, and uh, I put my son to bed on the bottom bunk. I'm a night owl, so I'm hanging out, doing my thing with the family. My brother, he likes to sleep, so he goes to bed too, and his son. So I come down in the middle of the night. It's probably 11, 12 o'clock at night. I hop in bed. And I just start to doze off, and uh, my two-year-old wakes up screaming, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And I'm trying to get out of a, I mean, we're talking twin-sized bunk bed, if twin, probably smaller than that. And I'm 6'3", and I'm, I'm corner to the corner, and I'm touching both corners. And the ceiling is probably two foot away from my face as I'm laying on there, and I'm trying to get up and navigate myself getting out of bed. And, my brother's like, I got it, I got it, and I'm working my way out, and he, he grabs my son, and he pulls him in close to his bunk, and I calms him down, so I hop off the, the top bunk, and um, I grab my son, he's calm now, but I'm going to take my son from my brother, so he can get some rest, because my son, and my kids are crazy slippers, and um, so I take my son, or I'm trying to take my son, I should say, and he latches onto my brother, and he starts screaming, daddy, daddy, daddy. I'm like, bro, it's daddy. I'm, I'm here. And I'm, I'm trying to take him, and he, he is fighting me. And I'm like, dude, I, it's daddy. Daddy's here. And he will not let go. Um, so I, I finally yank him off my brother, and I, I hop in the bottom bunk with him. And uh, I'm trying to calm him down. He's still screaming, daddy, daddy. And I was like, my God, son. I mean, I'm right here. It's daddy, it's daddy, and I'm, I'm getting frustrated. I'm so annoyed at this moment, and uh, I'm not a perfect father. <laughs> I try to be, but I'm not. And in my frustration, I rip him out of bed. Not rip him, it was a lot more gentle, but it was semi-aggressively. I pull him out of bed, and I sling the door open because the hallway, hallway light stays on. And I hold him up in front of me. I'm like, dude, it's daddy. Bro, chill out. And he calms down. It's like, ah, shut the door. And I'm like, man, you're ruining my night. And I 
get him in bed and I lay down next to him and as I'm settling in, all I hear is, that's you, son, with me. And here I am. And in the darkness, you don't even know it's me because you really don't have the relationship to understand my voice, to recognize it. You don't really have my scent. I'm right here, son. Here I am. You would think that in that moment that I understood and that everything flipped around from me and he lived happily ever after the end. <laughs> now, like I said, I bump heads very well. I'm, I'm, I'm very ignorant and unlearned, hard-headed, I like to do things my way. And I need to really, really, really learn. I like to make mistakes a lot. I like to make tons of mistakes. And I'm proud of every single one of them. They have made me, me. I dove right back into serving, doing everything I could to be good enough. But at least now I knew God was here. I knew it was close by. So it made me feel like I had progressed. I was getting more qualified. I was going to be good enough. You know, I, I had a little bit of something to give away. No. It actually got harder. And I found myself being frustrated in every position that I held felt like the world was falling apart around me. Every department I served in seemed to suffer. They all had one thing in common, and that was me. So it had to be me. So I'd start to step out of each of them and try to, try to plug into one. Maybe if I give all of my attention to one of them, maybe that'll work. We'll give that a shot. Nah. I was in my parents' garage, actually, all alone. God, I'm doing everything I can. I'm giving you every bit of me. I honestly don't know how I could serve you any more than I already do. Lead a small group. I have a cool group of guys around me. Very blessed. I am beyond blessed with the people around me. The families here, the whole body, my parents, my brothers, the leadership team. God, I mean, really, what else, what else is there to do? I've submitted to the ministry. I've done everything I know to do apart from have all the accolades and everything, have an education. I know you told me that you were here, and I know you're close, but why, why now do I feel 
like you are furthest away. When you're right here, why do I feel like you are so far away? And whenever I'm trying to serve you, why do I feel like I finally hit my low point? I thought my low point was sitting in a beat-up trailer, just coming off of a good high, been up all night, probably hadn't slept in three days. I averaged about seven hours of sleep a week because I was living it up, having a good time. But why now, God, that, that I'm actually trying to be someone for you, do I feel like you are so far away? I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else I can give you. Here I am. And in that moment, he said, that's all I've wanted is for you to be available to me. In that moment, I made myself available to God. It wasn't enough that he was here. I had to be there for him as well. It's a two-way deal. It's not a one-way thing. In that moment, I gave my availability to him. I made myself willing. And right now, I am trusting a very faithful father. doesn't mean that I won't continue to stumble. Like I said, I love making mistakes. They're fun. You know, mistakes are great stories. I actually wore black pants today for a reason. And if you don't know, I, I'm, I'm known for passing out. And uh, so I, I had a crew here that was prepared just in case that happened. But I'm going to fall a lot of times. But we have a God that isn't asking us to be perfect. He's not asking us to be good enough. He's not asking us to do anything to deserve him. All he's asking us to do is to reach out and receive him. He gave us a gift. Like any of you, he's not going to make you choose to take that gift. You can't force anyone to do anything. We're not, we don't have a God that's going to force you to do anything today. He won't even force you to receive the best thing for you. You have to play that part. Your part in all this is honestly just let it go. Stop. Stop trying. And receive what he has for you. But that takes work. You literally have to reach out and take what he has for you. As I come to a close today, I would ask, where are you today? Where are you right now? You might be in a difficult relationship. And you might be saying, God, where, where are you in all of this? And I'll tell you, God's right here. He's right next to you. He never left. 
This is your opportunity to say, God, here I am. And whatever you have, Lord, I'm making myself available now. I'm going to give in to your will because my will's done absolutely nothing for me. Whatever your age is, you may actually be going through, you may be doing everything right. You might be in a great place. What's the next step, God? Here I am. Maybe it's starting a small group. Maybe it's leading a group of young men, young women, young couples, whatever that is, God, here I am. Maybe it's being baptized day. Maybe this is all new to you and you really don't know the next step to take. God, here I am. City Quake is coming up this week, and I know there are a lot of opportunities um, for you to find something else to do. And maybe it is out of your comfort zone to step into something as scary as City Quake. And I'll be honest with you guys, whenever I heard about it, um, <laughs> I laughed because we, we talked about, is this something we should partner in with? And I, I was like, <laughs> yes, because it is exactly what I don't want to do. So maybe that is your here I am, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself available. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to allow your will to be done, God, and I'm going to trust you and who you say you are and who you say I am because you qualified me. I didn't have to do anything to deserve it. You qualified me before I even existed. And I was ready then, and I'm ready now. So God, here I am. You may be wondering, how can God use someone like me? How can God use a twice-divorced 38-year-old who's been in this all his life? Because he qualified me. How, God, can you use someone who spat in their parents' face? Because God qualified me. All the time that I was going through having my way, God gave me an earthly father that mirrored him. Not once during all of that time did he ever bring up my shortcomings. I'd show up to the house, hang out, and knowing what I was doing, sitting on there on that couch, I was still his son. I was still his baby boy. I didn't have to do anything to deserve that. It's who I am. Still to this day, <laughs> he can hear stories of things I've done and I think he ignorantly says, what, you did that? No. I don't have to prove myself to him. You don't have to prove yourself to God today. If you would, please stand. We'll give you the opportunity where you are. You don't have to make a move. You can stay exactly where you are. At home, you can join in on this. I was standing in an empty, cold garage all alone when God met me, when I said, here I am. If you want to come to the front, 
feel free to do so. If you want to stay where you are, if you want to stay seated, please feel free to do so. But God can meet you exactly where you are. You just have to make yourself available to him. Be willing to follow his will and trust that whatever he has is his plan and it is for the best for you and for everyone that you come in contact with. Remember, a qualified God died to qualify you, so there's nothing that you need to do to be good enough. There's nothing you can do to be good enough, so trying isn't even worth it. You're just going to wear yourself out. Just surrender to him and allow him to move. Again, if you want to come up to the front, please feel free to do so. We have a prayer team that if they feel led to come and pray with you, they will. Guests, thank you so much for being here today. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. If you have somewhere to be, please feel free to be dismissed. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in surrendering and, and saying, God, here I am. It only takes a moment. A seed only takes a moment. So if all you have is a moment, he just needs that moment because that seed will take root. And eventually it'll blossom. Why the singers come on up? I love you all. Thank you so much for allowing me to pour my heart out to you, to give you a piece of me. And again, I hope, I hope that you only take from it what God gave. I love each and every one of you.